0: Welcome to a special edition of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Head of Sports Science at Nottingham Forest, Ross Burberry, Head of Sports Science at Barnsley Football Club, Nathan Winder, and Strength and Conditioning Expert, Nick Grantham. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to a special edition of the Pace Performance podcast. Today I have Nathan Winder, Ross Burberry and Nick Grantham on the line. With all three guys having such vast experience in football, I wanted to get them together on the line at the same time and really pick their brains about football specific issues. We talk about screening in football, uh, we talk about analysing data and using data, we discuss maintaining strength and power during the in-season, and keeping players fit that aren't involved week in, week out. It's a really great episode with these three guys, Uh, rather than being an interview it's more of an informal discussion which was great uh, and some some great discussion points uh, bounced back and forth between the guys. Before we get going with the episode just want to remind people where you can keep up to date with everything that's going on the podcast. If you follow me on Twitter at PaceyPerform you will get informed about when the episodes become live. You can also subscribe on iTunes and all the episodes, as they become live, they'll go on to your chosen, uh, chosen device. You can also jump over to PaceyPerformance.co.uk and you can watch all back episodes on there with links to, to all, the YouTube, all the YouTube clips. But with all that said, I hope you enjoy the special edition of the Pacey Performance podcast and the first of 2015. Hi guys, welcome to the Pace Performance podcast. Um, got three guests coming today in Nathan Winder, Ross Burberry, and Nick Grantham. So I've told them I want to do a, a long introduction on it on uh, on all of them, because that'll bore people to death. So we'll get straight into it. Um I wanted to to do this because I think that the kind of magic happens when you go to seminars and conferences and things, and you just chat with people afterwards, um, over a coffee or a or a Budweiser in Ross's uh, Ross's circumstance. Um, So I'll just fire a couple of questions out, um, get the guys to answer and have a little discussion between themselves. So first of all, stick it out to the group. Um, What the state of S&C and sports science in football at the minute?
1: Go. Uh, Go on, kick off. Uh, I I think it's, uh, well, it's It's varied. That's probably the polite way of putting it. I would suggest. Um, I think football was driven by sports science initially, so it was very sort of physiology-led, uh, energy system dominant, science-based. Uh, it's been quite a slow adopter for strength and conditioning, I think. So it's it's playing catch up, and a lot of that is to do with tradition, I think. So I think you'll have you'll have big clubs doing a decidedly average job of strength and conditioning, and I think you'll have. Smaller clubs doing a fantastic job. I think it just all comes down to the, the personnel, the sports science and medicine team, and the the sort of philosophy. So I think you're going to get all shades of uh, S and C support. Mm-hmm. I don't know
2: if no. you go on, mate. Sorry, Sorry. Sorry. no, no, you're I'm all right, go. Follow on there from what Nick was saying. I completely agree, and I think it's it's quite extremist um, with little things like kind of pre-participation physical tests and screens and sports science at varied clubs, big or small, really kind of going to town on those um, and, and using those kind of tests and screens as the be-all and end-all. Be really kind of extremist with it as regards to whether players should or shouldn't train. Being a bit more of a, uh, uh, a hands-on approach with that one. And because the sports science has been very kind of extremist, I think in just an example such as that, I think relationships within the club, no matter which club it is, can then fall apart. And I think that has a massive knock-on effect to how sports science and S and C uh is kind of provides within English football at the minute.
1: So, yeah, I think that's the biggest the biggest thing I found was like is in the early days that the person doing what was perceived to be S and C could have been a, a former uh, personal trainer or ex-military, and that's not doing any of them a disservice. But they came in and didn't really know what sort of animal they were dealing with, and, and probably probably started a lot of fires. Which now, increasingly, when I go into a club, I'm I'm finding that I'm putting those fires out and trying to trying to sell people and convince them that no, actually, I'm not going to get you so domsed up that you won't be able to move on Saturday. That you know, we are. It is possible to to lift weights without absolutely smashing your body to bits. So uh, I think. I think it is getting, and I think you know many more of the the, the clubs have got accredited SNC coaches, uh, and I think the I think the uh, FA are actually part of their badges are saying that they've got to do SCA level, the foundation, the weightlifting. I think for the uh, academies, is that right? I'm not sure. Is that,
2: that you guys? That,
1: no, I've not, sure. I'm not heard of that a new one. Right, okay. I must be totally wrong then. <laughs>
2: that,
1: you
3: know, you'll know it more is. than <laughs> us. The, the other thing to add to that is that ex-players going into uh, the yes. sports. Yeah, general, classic. <laughs> you know, always doing what they've always done. You'll always yeah. get what you've always got. So, yeah, uh, and I think that mentality is shifting slightly now. Uh, and those players who are going on to go into that area, you know, the FNC, the uh, sports science going about it the right way and doing things through the PFA and doing the, the Manchester Met uh, course so I again, think
1: what, it's a, a bit better instead of it you know just a, a job for the mates kind of thing So I, I tell you what I've, I've started to see a lot as well is the acceptance that you haven't had to have been a player or been in football all your life or, or even like football to actually work at a club they, they seem to be a lot more open to uh, people that have come from a multi-sport background and actually saying, well, actually, yeah, you've worked in a different team sport or a different individual sport. Let's see what you can bring. So at the clubs I go to, I quite like being the thickest person in the room when it comes to football because I'll ask the stupid question that if you've been in football for 30 years, you won't ask it. But I'll be like, well, why do you do that? And it's like, oh, actually, not quite sure. Mm.
0: So is, is that from a staff point of view or a player point of view? Yeah, I think it's
1: a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's both. I tend not to try and ask too many stupid questions to the players because <laughs> that doesn't help me cause. But yeah, certainly, yeah. certainly with the backroom stuff, you know, just going in and saying, well, things that are taken as gospel, why is that? Is that actually a fact? Do you know that or is that just you watched a game five years ago and now it's gone down in the mists of folklore as to that's how someone runs or uh, changes direction?
0: Mm. Do, I mean, I'm sure you have seen the uh, the little clips of the Athletic Madrid. <laughs> In, you knew what was going then, didn't you? Everyone's seen that. Yeah, um, there's another one. Uh, I can't think. Of... Man United? No, I'm not quite sure. Anyway, does that is is that a accurate representation of what is going on across the board? Obviously not, because you three out.
1: I think it's what we said at the start, isn't it? It's like you got you've got all shades. You've got good, bad, and indifferent. Um, mm. And probably the weirder and wackier you are, the more likely you're going to find your clips on YouTube. You know, if it's that's the thing. It's like everyone's got to be an entertainer. Mm. Whereas if you're just doing standard issue programs consistently, no one's going to want to watch that on YouTube. But if you've got thirty guys in a room doing funny little punch bag things, that and, was Marseille, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. <laughs> it was it was interesting. Mm. Uh, he entertained me for about 30 seconds it has got boring do
2: you think some of that though is you, you've got to appreciate that from some s coaches who are willing to do the weird and wacky and wonderful and even if it isn't textbook even if it isn't correct in, in some people's eyes do you think that's, that's something we shouldn't kind of condemn and
1: criticise and I think, <laughs> I think yeah I think I think every, Sorry, every I think? sport there's always going to be someone that's going to go in and be be the person that does the great great preseason, and sometimes that's a real tonic for clubs, isn't it? You know, you, you go in, you have a six week hit, you turn you turn the work ethic around. Um, so I think you can make a career out of that. It's just I'm not sure it's always lasting change that you get. You know, before they move on to the next fad of training.
0: That's cool. Um, move on slightly. Um, got a question from James Walsh, who actually uh took my position at, at Donny as the head of academy. Um, keeping players sharp who aren't involved in a Saturday, um, but are always on standby, so hardly training a Friday. And often when you got a games, certainly the lower league games, still box to box, a couple of box yeah, do a couple of box to boxes after the match. Nate, over to you. Is that still the, the kind of norm? And how do you boys get around that?
3: Uh, it, it depends, really. So, if, you, if we've got a Saturday, Tuesday, and we're in uh, on the Sunday, then the lads can just go and do a little bit of running, literally a couple of box to boxes, just to keep them ticking over mm-hmm. because they train the next day and have a, have a proper session, which they've, they've warmed up, they've, they've done the Warm up throughout the the game, so it's just keep them ticking over. But in terms of if they're not in on the Sunday, because we've got a Saturday Saturday week, um, we'll look at doing uh, full pitch runs, more tempo runs really, covering about seventeen hundred meters uh, over uh, a fifteen to twenty minute uh, basis really. Um, So, but that would be after the match. In terms of the training on a Friday, uh, we usually know who's starting. So uh, they can, they'll go in and and the rest will stay out for extra little bits of work, whether it be football based, uh, small sided or pitch based, short running, uh, changes of direction, drills. they'll be incorporated onto the the extra session drill on the Friday. Um, But we try and supplement um, their fitness uh, with spin bike sessions, try and keep the axle load down uh, through the week uh, to maintain that fitness, really, uh, because they're going to be called upon at some point. So it's a tough one, uh, and it's been tough this year because we've got a small squad. so it is is probably one of the toughest parts of the job really. Uh, keeping players fit to ready to come in <coughs> uh is is really one of the toughest parts, I think, personally. Uh and and there is other ways of testing to make sure that they are up to to scratch, uh keeping the lads fit. You know, you do the uh submaximal test uh from a maximal reading on the heart rate. I think it was Chris Struck that uh, did a, did a paper on that. Uh, uh, so you can keep tabs on, on where they are. Uh, but as a whole, um, the only way that you ideally want to keep them phased by playing them in the 21s and getting match fitness. But as we had a little discussion before, uh, and Ross said, those intensities and the, the actual coverage that they perform in their matches sometimes isn't up to what they requires in the training base sessions and, uh, are actually more. So um, it's just a tough area, very tough area. I don't know what your thoughts are, Ross. I,
2: I again, it's, it's a very difficult one, isn't it? Um, there's always there's two words for me in this situation: one's fitness and one's freshness. And I think both of them kind of come hand in hand. Yeah. Um, With regards to keeping players uh, match fit, if you want to use them two words, I think there's two things we need to do. One is keep players exposed to Mm -hmm. speed. I think exposing players to speed is extremely important, especially within parameters of what their maximal speed is and their exposure to that on a weekly basis. So we have um, some kind of trim monitoring that we do, which exposes players to certain amounts of speed that we feel necessary to keep them available. Um, um, just for kind of mechanical issues as well as some fitness issues then the other thing that we do is we have a physical profile um, for every player from uh, a kind of a normal match what kind of uh, they do on a normal kind of league league Saturday match and then within that physical profile we have to make sure that we're getting at least 70 to 80% of probably four or five of those metrics Um within a training session to those players if they're being regularly left out of the squad. And that'll probably take place some kind of two days before a game, so like a match day minus two on a Thursday, for example, on extensive days, when you can put that match scenario into the boys. But unlike what you've just said, it's very, very difficult when you're putting them into a 21s environment when the intensity is different, but they are getting the distances from a technical, tactical perspective so you could argue that they're getting match fitness, even though it's not physical fitness, from playing those games. But for me, as long as we're keeping players exposed to, to good amounts of speed, within seventy to eighty uh, percent exposure to what they get on a match day, and keeping them relatively fresh, because I think sometimes we can we can overdo it with players, especially when we're looking at post-match runs and runs the day before a game. I think that's something that we need to probably just Limit to a little bit. I'm not a big fan of running after games unless it's needed, um, and I'm especially not a big fan of doing top ups the day before a game just in case anything happens to players injury wise or illness wise.
0: Are they are they allowed to wear uh, GPS in the twenty ones or not?
2: Yes, we can wear GPS in twenty ones games.
0: Okay, I mean, I uh, I saw Steve Black speak uh, last year, and he was he mentioned about. Um, picking the team early in the week is that ever right. gonna is that ever gonna be an option
2: is that what you're finding from Dave Redding
0: yeah yeah that well that 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 kind of just uh, you know reaffirmed what he'd said uh, when I heard him speak last year actually picking the team on a on a Wednesday so you actually you know you know where you're going Thursday Friday
1: I think that, yeah, a lot of that comes down to the mentality of the, of the squad that you've got as well though, mm-hmm. because you know People can lose their heads if they don't think they're in the mix. You know, good luck getting anything out of them on Thursday, Friday. Constructive.
0: I mean, his, to be fair, somebody said that. in the uh, Somebody piped up and said that. And he, then his response was, do you want them to have a in your squad?
1: I uh, you see. That's, that's, that's an easy one to throw back, isn't it? You know, not everyone's... Uh, yeah, that, that's an easy one. Like... No, you don't. You want it's people that run through me. brick walls, but you ain't always got people that run through brick walls. That's the reality is, you know, not every athlete that you work with is a, is a consummate professional. So, you know, and, and also you've got to get inside the athlete's head. You know, if they've been sat picking splinters out their ass for four weeks and they get told again on a Wednesday, same deal, it's it's difficult not to have a head loss. I think, I think some people need to have a reality check sometimes and just it's easy to criticise and say, oh, well, everyone should run through brick walls. Well, life ain't like that. Not, it's not in everybody's makeup, is it? You know, yeah. I think you have to
3: create a culture within your club and you, the mentality that you, you put across to your players that it's paramount that your work ethic is at is the, the forefront of everything that you do. Um, that doesn't always happen with every player. And it's, it's how you get those little bits of uh, extra margins out of that player. Through the week, that's also quite difficult. You know, you you you're doing a psychological battle, battle pretty much every every single day in different terms. Uh, so, going
2: back to that, sorry, Nathan, going back to that comment as well about you know players should run through brick walls. Is, you know, what's the average lifespan of a of a manager these days in the championship? You know, coaches are going to inherit whatever players been there the time before. Yeah. players being given three to five year contracts you know if, if they're going to be told they're not playing on a Wednesday regular then you know I'm sure some of the players are going to be quite happy to sit there like, saying, picking splinters out of their arse and, and picking up a wage and they yeah. can sit on that for three to five years some players are like that yeah. like, but, you I, know, it's quite an easy one to throw back that comment
1: I am like I spent sort of the majority of my career working in Olympic sports. And, I, and listen, i put my head up. I was the first one to give football a hard time, you know, because I just thought bloody overpaid and all the other stuff, all the cliches that go with it. And then you actually work in the environment and you see the demands that go on. And it's, it's, it's a difficult environment. And to compare people making comments that have come from a predominantly rugby background, and I get that, and it gets compared all the time. And I, I, I love rugby, but you're comparing apples with oranges two totally different sports different work ethics you know different mentalities physicalities you, you you can't just make sweeping statements like well you don't want that player in your squad <laughs> you know Tough shit. you don't want you don't want a full squad of them but you know you might have to have a few mavericks that are a little bit out there that do the business for you on a Saturday mm, yeah cool got a bit um, excited there didn't I
0: you did a little bit you got close to the screen as well <laughs> <laughs> Um yes, yeah, so another one that came from Ishan, who's the lead S&C at Blackburn uh, of their academy. Uh how do you go about ensuring strength and power gains are maintained when playing uh Saturday Tuesday on a regular basis? Ross go.
2: Oh, that's a tricky one. Um Okay, I think for one thing, again, like we said a little bit before, uh, about being quite extremist is that you you can kind of overlook the amount of load that's going to a player uh, and you can get a little bit hung up on too much strength and too much power in preparation for the weekend. Um, I think the big one for me is is looking at what happens to a player after he plays a football match. So we've done quite a bit of in-house research. I've put it out there on Twitter. You know, I'm not afraid to, to share the info that we've got. Just kind of the stuff that we're seeing with regards to creating kinase levels, uh, visual analog, analog scale of muscular fatigue, so subjective markers, uh, and different kind of power tests that we do shows that, depending upon what a player does within the match, he gets a different response, obviously, up to 92 hours post game. If we've got a player that's covering four or 500 meters of sprint distance doing 80 sprints a game, uh, up to 2,000 meters of high intensity distance, whatever pros or metrics you want to look at in regards to intensity. He's still getting a repeated bout effect, if you want to use that terminology, up to 92 hours after playing a game on a Saturday. Is it then right to then say, right, you need to keep on top of your strength sessions, need to keep on top of your power sessions, like everyone else does in the squad in preparation for the following week when he's still going through that adaptive? Um, adaptive process of recovery when he's getting a conditioning from strength and from power from football games. So, with regards to the question of strength and power, I think you, you've got to be very particular with the individual timing of strength and power interventions for that player, and it has to be an individualized approach as to which way you go through it. For those type of players, what we do is uh, we just give them small strength doses. You know, kind of three to four reps, 80 to 85% of the 1RM on on whatever kind of strength work that you want to do with the players, lower upper limb, full body. Um, And we just give them one to two exposures of that a week, dependent upon what they're telling us with regards to the soreness and level of recovery they think they're at.
3: I've got a question for you there then, Ross. So, you've you've got really good resources at uh, your club. So, yeah. on the contrary to that, we haven't. Yeah. Um, so, what would you be your process if you were in my shoes?
2: Do you have Prozone, Nathan, uh, at your place? No.
3: We, we've got on but it's the, the basic package, so we don't
2: get the physical no. stats. Okay. I think, with regards to the physical stats, 95% of the time, we, we can kind of assess visually what a player's done within the game. yeah. And the big one for me is, you know, we are quite fortunate. We have quite a lot of technology and resources and, uh, you know, we can assess power objectively and we can assess work done uh, through the technology that we've got. But I think the big thing for me on that kind of side of things is to know where a player's recovered. It's just to ask him and to talk to him. Although you've got to then appreciate if the player's giving you an honest opinion of, of where he's at, if he fancies a couple of days extra recovery compared to the next man who's done the same amount of work, I think that's just an individual kind of relationship that needs to be built with the player from, from my perspective, from an S&C or a sports science. So visually, we, we know if a player has not covered a certain amount of distance, but we can see if he's put a shift in on that day. And I think from that side on, As long as you can get a player to not comply, I think comply is a bad word to use, but maybe to conform and understand the reasoning for what you're doing with him and to get to buy in the additional strength work that you do and you can make it fit on both parties, I think then that's a simple way forward. I think we we can be too extreme with data coming out of our ears and all these objective measures, when quite simply, as long as you can just talk with a player and you can get the best out of a bad situation with, with you and and the player then I think you're on the right lines I think it's just a common sense approach really sometimes
3: yeah I think the uh, from my perspective a lot of of how we go about it with we, we do wellness questionnaires and uh, things like that but it's knowing the players and because we've you know we've got a we've got a small squad and we've got a lot of academy lads involved with uh, with the first team so I've known those kids coming through so you, you get to know who tells you the truth about how they feel and what they're doing you got like you say you've got that coach's eye on how hard they work um, so you you actually become more you use your coach's eye more within delivering your session on how you're going to deliver it or what you're going to deliver um, and it's you know uh, if somebody's going to be honest or you've got your skivers uh, I, think, I, think I think
1: you've got the key there uh nathan is it's like coach's eye and that coaching skill set which a lot of people are graduating haven't got they've got all the book smarts uh the numbers are good but you've always got to contextualize your numbers yeah and you know computer could say no don't train and and you're looking at the guy going well actually he's tearing up tree stumps here let's let's go after it and like you say if you build a relationship and, and the trust then hopefully, if you've got the resources, you can use those. It's good to have objective markers, but if you haven't, it's it's that conversation, isn't it? And if you think he needs a rest, he needs to have a rest. And you, you sharp no. I think it's just key, just keeping in your mind what your sort of use disuse is and and knowing what your detraining times are, so that you know. Right, we need a certain amount of exposures. You've had, you know, the last three sessions. You've told me you're tired. And I and I think you you're having it. So let's we we need to do a session. Yeah. The uh,
3: the other thing is as well, each play is completely different. Yeah. Uh, they all recover slightly different. Uh, like like Ross says, it, it could be anything up to ninety odd hours, maybe even more in some cases, uh, depending on the game time and what have you. Uh, previous to to playing, they might come straight in. So be, you know. And then you've got the kid who recovers and feels fresh as a daisy within like, you know, 32, 48 hours. So it's, uh, again, took part of the job, isn't it? Them soft skills and dealing with players one-to-one as well as in a group. Uh, I think they're, they're really important.
0: So with that, when that conversation happens, has it been an issue kind of justifying why say for instance manager walks in the gym why is he doing different to him has it been hard to justify that with no kind of you know the the number the numbers to justify what you're doing
3: yeah, no not really um, I, I'm lucky I've, I've got staff around me that are uh, honest and and let me and trust me and let me get on with my job uh, and then if something you know does crop up they'll ask me a question and as long as i can justify it then they're more than happy with that um you know we don't see these players every single day of the minute uh, sorry every minute of the day um so you, you can't keep tabs on them what they do all the time Um But what we do, and when we've done it, it's all detailed. It's all notified down, and and all the staff know about it. So, you know, if the manager or a member of staff came into the gym and one's doing something, the other's doing something else, as long as it's part of their program and the justification and why we're doing it, uh, then you know, there's no issues. Um, Yeah, and and that's it's a nice environment to work in when you've got that trust. Mm. That, communic- that comes through communication as well, you know. Uh, I hear a lot of stories about bigger clubs having so many staff members and heads of each in different departments and none of them speak to each other,
1: and then you end up with, you know, big injuries. And uh, if you if you've got a tight if you've got a tight backroom staff that know. Then there's only so many times the player can sort of try and pull all over your eyes, because yeah. you like you say you all talk in your, in your debriefs or in the canteen or, or wherever it is you speak, and it's like, well he said he had a gammy knee, and he he couldn't do it today, and then they're like, well no hold on he was he was fine, but like you say if you get into a in a big unwieldy department, you might not speak to someone for days on end. Yeah, it's yeah. a big part of. It. The way I work definitely
3: is the communication between all the staff. Close knit, you know, we speak about
1: players, you know, football going. So one, yeah. one of the key things one of the key things we do is it's like, right, this is this is our line on this. Everyone is saying the same thing when we walk out of this meeting room. So yeah. if they ask, this is the Because otherwise people will go and they'll they'll try athletes from all sports I've worked with, they'll pick you off. They'll yeah. they'll go to whoever it is to get the answer they're looking for. Yeah. The, the the manager says
3: is exactly the same. You know, everybody's saying singing singing off the same hymn sheet. There's, there's no there's no gaps in it. There's no chinks in the armor. You, they, they've got nothing to come back at. It, this is what we're doing. There we go.
2: I Think going on from the, the start. Of the question, Rob, there about the strength and power and, and when to put it in. Mm. It, exactly what what we've just been saying about you know making sure that the the player doesn't bring the foot off the gas at any point. So I think the big thing for us now is that we're not too soft with it. We understand that there's, you know, a large gap for players that do more in games. That does restrict them to what they can do SNC wise or, or even training wise. But we're not particularly a, a club at Forest that, that pull players out of training. You know, we think that every day is a training day, they go out on the grass every day. We just limit or we do more with whatever player we think needs that amount of time on the grass or Um, It's not a case of saying, you've done a lot today, you can go in the gym and you can just go and get a rub off the masseur and then off you go. That's that's not the case. I think it's you're on the grass every day. It limits as to how much you do or, you know, sometimes in most cases more. But then putting individual programmes into place with strength and power exposure, dependent upon what the coaching staff and sports science staff feel necessary for that player for that week. And again, like you've just said, Nick, there's a line there where everyone sings off the same hymn sheet. Um, And whatever's been said to that player is consistent and the player understands that's what is asked of him for that week. And there's at no point he takes the foot off the gas pedal.
3: Yeah. Mm. I think that, especially within sports science, that maybe sometimes we don't remember that they're actually there to be footballers. Right. You know I mean? So you know you, you don't. You can't go out on the pitch now. You can't do this. You can't do that. Well, actually, you here to be a footballer. So let's do everything we can to make sure you stay on that football field. and Do the prescribed session that's detailed for the amount of work that you need to do. If you need to do more, you do more. If you don't, you don't. You know, and we tailor that. Uh, but predominantly, we're there to be a footballer, not to be in a weightlifter. <clears throat> so we're not. You know. I think that's some uh, practitioners have maybe get into that. Well, I've got to make sure I look after them and bodycoddle them and keep them fit. When actually we're de them to, to do what they're actually paid to do, and that's be a footballer and go out and perform. And performance is is key to everything. And them, I like Ross said, keeping them fresh. But just, just going back to the question as well, is when you say about Saturday, Tuesday and the strength work, if if we do the correct programming throughout, then um, when you get your Saturday, Saturday um, fixtures, making sure that you get your work in that period. And Ross said earlier about the strain and stress that you get from Saturday, Tuesday game, they're getting the load through that game time. So it's, it's supplementing it to make sure that they can go out and perform again on that Saturday after the Tuesday game. So it might be just, you know, even some bodyweight exercises that's keeping them in the gym and that mentality to work. I think that's, uh, the, I
1: think that's key. It's it's like people don't, people try and do way too much. And actually, sometimes you just need a real small dose, a real small exposure, yeah. just keeping the consistency going is the key. So long as the intent to train... For that one or two sets is there. Yeah. And then get yourself off. And this
3: game that players buy in that mentality and, and you know, you keep them in the gym, right? We're doing this and it's it's gonna be a twenty minute session, you will be in and out. they yeah, like, well, yeah buzzing, pump And you crack on to do it, to get out, but they're still being in the gym, they've still got the mentality that I'm in the gym on the Thursday before I playing the game on a Saturday even though even have about a Saturday game. So yeah. when it comes around to a Saturday, Saturday game and they're in there Tuesday, Thursday. You're already in that mindset, the mentality is there, and it's uh, again, it's just winning those little little battles really. And the psychology about getting the mentality and the work ethic is really the work. You're going to do Um,
2: we've got one of the every, every club's got you know one or two or three good pros, really, really good pros. Uh, and one of the let's say not so good pros of the day in the gym said to this good pro you're in here every morning and you're in here every afternoon. You no, know, how, how do you do it? He says, it's easier for me to be in here every morning and afternoon than for me just to pick a time once a week to come in. I think that's just a great message to put across to the player. Easy for me to be in here twice a day, keep consistent, keep myself in the right frame of mind that I'm in here every day. No excuses. And the work that we do with the player and the work that he takes upon himself to do, he feels is the correct programming. And you've hit the nail on the head there, Nick, with what you said earlier. It's not all about load. sometimes. It's sometimes just about getting in there, one to two sets, of even a bodyweight exercise, just to keep them fresh, keep them moving, and just make sure everything's working in situ. That player has got it absolutely nailed on for me. And it's a shame that, you know, not every player can be like that. But that's the industry that we're working in. And you've just got to kind of embrace that some of these players aren't that way. But the responses that these good pros give to these not so good pros is is fantastic in that sense. And if we can support that and just kind of keep that going within the industry, then over time, hopefully, things will change.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but do you want those sorts of players in your squash <laughs> squad, though, Ross? That's the thing. So, <laughs> I'll
0: just tell you the thing. <laughs> so another one from Ish at Blackburn. Um, I'd put it to I'd put it to Ross but knowing your background Nick on uh, working with um, Olympic athletes it might be more suitable for you uh, about difference in coaching one on one compared to like a group session um
1: uh... Again, that all comes down to sort of personality-driven and also time frames and there's a lot of variables that come into it. What do you want to get out of session? Group sessions, you tend—I I tend to find—you need to be a little bit more on it, a little bit more uh, dictatorial and, and, and sharp. So you've got to keep people in, in the mix. Otherwise, you know, if you lose, if you leave a squad, no matter what squad it is, they're either pulling each other's shorts down, kicking stability balls across. You know, they'll find something to do. So. You know, that's when you've got to be a little bit more. Right, you're on there, you're in there, and and, and bossing the session a little bit. One on one, you've probably got much more time to have that conversation with a player. You know, you you can again, you can you you've just got to read the player and see whether they're whether they're motivated for the session. So do you have to pull them up? Do you have to calm them down? Uh, but then I get I guess the same same for a group. If you've got a group of lads that are hyper. And you want to work on something technically proficient with, with big loads, you need to get a grip and, and get, them, get them focused. You know, you don't want them just all running around like headless chickens. So I think I'm not sure there's massive differences between individuals and groups. You just have to read the group or read the individual and then adjust your coaching style accordingly. A lot of, uh,
2: Do you think that changes out on the grass? If you were to work indoors in the gym compared to out on the pitches, now
1: in in, in what way just with
2: regards in in a football sense if you've got the boys in the gym you've got them in an area uh, in a group session Um, and you know like you say you've got to be on it you've got to be dictatorial you've got to be kind of autocratic in a sense that you're leading the session there yeah out on the grass do you think that still kind of translates do you think you can still be the same out on the grass
1: Um, again I think it would probably depend on session to session what What you're trying to achieve um I don't do a huge amount of stuff out out on the grass, you know other than you know sort of pre season and again it's it's probably more strength and strength and conditioning orientated but again working with other squads from different sports, yeah, there might be sessions where it's a little bit looser, you know you might have people set up and they're working at their own rate, I guess if that's the sort of thing you you're thinking ross
2: yeah, I mean just. With, with regards to, to keeping sessions fresh and, and different, within within a gym setting, you've obviously got to follow a similar kind of routine or pattern to keep players exposed to doing similar type exercises, obviously variances uh, to, to keep strength improvement within elite athletes who've that exposure to, to weight training. But out there on the grass, it's within coaches. Football coaches always want to keep things fresh and different. Yeah, um, I've heard stories about kind of, Martinez saying that you're not allowed to use the same warm up or the same agility session twice in a season. I'll be you know, screwed. The, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the the kind of minor changes that you make into that session yeah. just to keep it fresh and different is, yeah. is a joke. But with regards to that, I just think kind of working out in the grass is a little bit different because your voice doesn't travel as far as what it does within a gym. Yeah. So you have got to be on it even more so I think in that sense. Um, and I think when you're out there on the grass in front of the coaches at the same time, the players will have a little bit of a go. They'll try to get yeah. banter with you. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll try and, and bring you down. And you know, we all know that the fitness coach, the sports scientist, is the one that's going to be getting the most amount of banter, especially in front of the manager. The boys are always going to try and expose you. So I think within that sense, you, you've got to have a bit of a bit about you. In a sense, if a player's going to shoot you down, you've got to have that wit to come back. I think it, it, it's slightly different within a gym setting because normally 9 times out of 10 that would just be me and the players in the gym. Yeah. So you've got them you've got them in the room whether it's a group session through individual programs or everyone's doing the same within a circuit environment. You have got them you can put the music on and everyone's buying into it and you can then pick players out who want whereas out on the grass it's different you've got a bit of an audience you could lose manage it
1: is what sorry you could lose them very easily oh, right,
2: yeah. not just lose them you could lose yourself yeah, you know yeah. your head goes massively especially yeah. if the boys are dripping into you saying that oh he's lost it he's gone red and this that yeah yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah I think it's a completely different mindset from being in the gym with a group and been out in the grass with a group
1: yeah no absolutely you're doing the under 12s warm up that's the usual shout that sort of stuff <laughs> exactly
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah you've got this one off YouTube have you exactly yeah, so yeah. things like that
1: yeah but I it's, think it's have, uh, a bit about you to get back at a in of grass and show that you're one-cell in charge again that's the thing they don't teach you at uni is it you know and again I think that's it is. is I'm not suggesting I've got the best banter in the world but you've got to have some stocking, stock sort of comebacks haven't you because yeah. if, if you don't that's it they, you've had it you have yeah, got, got to have a few in the bank haven't
2: okay. you
1: yeah
3: thick skin and a, a few, few comebacks but yeah I remember
1: I I had it once when I was getting the under 12s warm-up shout all the time. And then one of the other guys went and did the warm-up and he was getting the same shout. He's like, Nick, you've got to realise, they just do that shout to everybody, no matter whose warm-up. Because then they come coming off the park going, oh, your warm ups so much better than this, Nick. And then I go out and do it. They're going, no, yours are terrible. It's rubbish. <laughs> so it is, like you said, it just do it to get a, to get a reaction. Yeah, exactly. uh, The common footballer's uh, trait of moaning. <laughs> they can't get through a
3: day without at least one moan. <laughs> I don't. As long as they're moaning and working, I don't mind. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, but like you said, there, Nick, a lot of that
1: you don't learn. Well, you don't learn that at university. That that comes through experience, that doesn't it? Yeah, but also, I I'm not sure you can teach a lot of it. I think I think you either got it or you haven't. I think you can either stand in front of a group, yeah, or or, or not. You know teach teaching that personality and it is tough. Yeah. You're not going to get much
2: time in football to learn that in front of a
1: team, are you? No. And I think sometimes I think what, what a lot of coaches have to recognise is it's it's okay to say actually I'm most comfortable with an academy or I'm most comfortable working with a women's team or actually I am first team material. And and to say, well, actually no, I don't fancy it in the first team. I c I can't stand that sort of banter. Uh, I, I'd much rather be in a different environment. Whereas I think a lot yeah. of people always feel they have to be the first team guy.
0: That's quite hard to admit to yourself and others that you maybe, you know, it's not going to be the first team in where I, I want to be.
3: Yeah. I think you've got to find what you enjoy. Um, yeah. uh, and if you can't cope with something and you're getting battered, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to enjoy it, so.
0: is this you, Nate?
3: No, no, no. <laughs> I've done both, but I, I enjoy both, I, I've probably the first team is a bit more suited to me because the 18 year old, well, there can be more testing, the younger kids can be more testing the actual adults really, um, but I enjoy both roles really, you know, I'm lucky to have worked in an academy and now in the first team, so uh, I, am, I am very lucky to have, have, you know, a taste of both, but like you say, it's, you've got to enjoy whatever you're doing, and if you don't enjoy it, then you know you, uh, you'll, you'll put yourself and pigeon your whole yourself into a, a category. I think.
0: Oh, cool. So uh, move on again. Uh, I know Ross did a full 45 minutes chatting about this a couple of months ago, but with such a large percentage of uh, Premier League squads sat on the Santa Physio bed. Um, what what strategy have you found m- most useful when it comes to injury prevention? You can start off with that, Ross, if you want. I know it's your uh, you got forty five minutes on that, like I said.
2: Just put that forty five minute one back on loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah just, right. No. Did, yeah, stop that now. Yeah, just <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that beer then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's the side I don't know if I should do it. Cause I'm on video, aren't I? No, it's, uh, I think with intervention is there's three big things. Um, I think that the biggest one is, as sports scientists we can't control in that previous injury history. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to probably be consorted within signing new players or we are going to inherit players going to a, a club. And, you know, that that's kind of the biggest indicator for injury in my eyes, previous injury history. Um, looking at that, you obviously tailor individual programmes suited to that player on his screening, on his testing and, and this, and that, and the other. Um, the other two for me the first one is obviously training load making sure that you get differences in training load uh, throughout the week intensive extensive days um not so much periodizing it just have a bit of common sense and knowing what kind of adaptation you're going to be getting from what sessions and then what's safe as part of a training sequence throughout that week to ensure that you're safe going into the next session and you're prepared for it although i have been told um by a friend of mine, I'll not mention any names, that uh, a club, a French club in League One, looked at replicating the same training monotony every single week of the season, and that was their most successful uh, year for reducing injuries, which is quite a surprising thing. Um, Keeping the same sessions every day, doing the same thing. Quite an interesting one, take that as you will. Um, And then the third one for me is just going back onto what we said earlier about the strength and power just making sure that you're getting the recovery right. If you can ensure good recovery, whether it's through objective or subjective markers, um, and players are, are able to, to do what you're asking them and keeping themselves relatively fresh, I think if you're doing those three things right, you're not going to be going that far off. Do yeah, right.
0: Done. <laughs> yeah. Killed it.
3: Next.
0: <laughs> do you want to, were you going to say something then, no, Sorry.
3: No, oh, it's interesting, you know, it, a lot of that there was common sense, uh, you know, looking after your players and not going to the extremes and not thinking that you have to do too much but making sure that they do enough and uh, sometimes I think you can get lost That they have got to work harder, and have got to work harder and that can be dictated as well through performances and results sometimes. Uh, and I've seen it in previous uh, outings that you know the the message gets uh, sent and they need to be working harder when actually probably don't. Well, so, but in terms of recovery strategies, there's there's plenty of different ways and uh, and there's a lot of papers out there, research to to back everything up with what you try and do, uh, and you could go on forever and what you're doing, compression tight pulls, nutrition, there's lots of different things. But it was interesting that Ross said, what's particular is is keeping your players strong, you know, doing that strength work in and around your uh, training methods is is paramount, really, because they've got to be able to cope with the demand of the game. Uh, And that is a recovery strategy within itself. So that's still a little bit to add to it, really.
1: Mm-hmm. I, think, I think, not Not going with the French thing in terms of monotony, but my, my biggest thing is just consistency. You've got to have planned variability within what you do, but the players that have come back from injuries the best and have stayed injury-free are the ones that get it and do a little consistently all season. And then off-season, they're doing little bits and pieces. Pre-season, they're back in it. It's the ones that kind of have great big peaks, get on it for four weeks, smash it, do really well and then go, well, I'm fit now. I'll just uh, ease off and gradually have a six to eight week period. They start to detrain and then they have a catastrophe. Then they hit it again. You know, you just want someone that can just do little bits consistently.
3: Again, yeah, that comes down to the the mentality of that player as well, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. That's, yeah. that's your man coming in on a, on a morning and afternoon. Every day yeah. just doing bits. It because yeah.
3: it's,
1: it's, it's the a lifestyle for
3: <clears throat> for them. You know, they they understand that the longevity of the career is short. Uh, and they get that doing little bits and being a bit you know, having that habit of doing that is is massive to them. just to they,
2: reinforce that. Sorry Ned, just to reinforce uh, that as well, Nick, that player's played forty five games in the last two seasons he's over yeah. 30 years old so yeah. you know 100 percent of what you're saying little things keeping yourself robust <laughs> keeping yourself uh trained uh not picking your times to come in just keeping it consistent and just adapting the sessions based on on feeling of recovery yeah yeah
0: cool um another one from from james i think at, at donny um with so much data been collected um are we using this data effectively i know you've mentioned it a little bit um and how is it effectively fed back to technical go on go on nick i can see you having a little laugh go on
1: bear away um i think i mean we, we everyone collects a lot of data big data has become very sort of fashionable over the last 12 to 18 months All the, all that data has got to be contextualized because the numbers on their own tell you very little um and I think probably a lot of clubs, if they're honest, are just collecting stuff at the moment and not really knowing which key metrics are the ones to really hang your hat on. I think I think you're getting close to it, but I think anyone that sits there and, you know, when they start telling you, we collect X, Y, Z, and you know, I think they've got to be honest with themselves and say, do you actually know that that's the one that, that tells you what you need to do? So... I think it is effective, but I think we probably need to trim it right down and find the key variables that work, um, and then make sure that they inform your practice. That's the key. No point collecting the data if you just still have the same session out on the pitch or in the gym. You know, you you've got to look at the numbers, contextualise it, make an informed decision, and adapt your training accordingly. I'm not sure many clubs are at that level yet.
2: I completely agree, Nick. I think the uh, the extremist comes out again, doesn't it? When you're looking at collecting all this data and then you think to yourself, how much time is actually spent supporting the players rather than reporting the data? Um, yeah. It's got to be, uh, an intervention has to come from the data and it's got to be put into practice. But it's only got to come from data that's going to be reliable, significant and effective for then making players injury-free, perform better on match days, so on and so forth. So. Again, you can collect all the data in the world and I think as long as you can get a player to buy into your practice and your provision by use of that data and also the manager and the coaches, I think then you can just go to the relationship side. I think just talking to players I think is the main way forward for me. But if a player then asks, why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? You've then got all the objective markers to then reinforce your opinion. The players then go, actually, yeah, you know what? That's Bob on. And then once you've got that right, you've got the player involved, you've got him in, into your practice, and then you can build those relationships, create loyalty, create honesty, and then you've got yourself a good player.
0: Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Cool. Um, last but not least, uh, systems f- uh, for screening. So biggest bang for your buck when it comes to screening, FMS, FMS. Um, Obviously, modified FMS. Go on, Nick, go on. What? No, I you have I a little I look. Was, get... I thought not saying anything.
1: Just sat here smiling. <laughs> I'm just a happy
0: fella. Well, yeah, I know that. So, who's going first? Fire it out. Um, Biggest bang for your uh, buck when I it comes hop. to screening.
2: I do a hop and hold video analysis every two months. Simple as. It's simple, it's easy. You can see a lot from what's happening across the body. Uh, frontal side view um, and just see what happens through load acceptance when players hop from one leg over a one metre distance and then balance. Simple, effective. It's not the be-all and end-all. Not got a massive test battery. Might throw a wire balance. in there as well. Posterior medial, posterior lateral. Just see what happens and see what distances we're getting in relative comparison to leg length. Um, And I can do that consistently throughout the season.
3: Yeah, we've, uh, we do something similar, it's, we do a single leg load really, uh, and that's from a box drop, uh, a single leg distance and a single leg knee dip, um, and film basically on that, score one to zero, uh, the higher score you get, the, the worse it is, um, pretty simple, and that was through uh, we work uh, with a, a physio called uh, Ian Horsley, uh, and he recommended that for time consistency uh, for assessing your screening your players um, because you can spend a lot, a lot of time screening your players and and end up again with a lot of data that will never get used. So um, you get a lot of information from from those those three. Really, uh, we we do some handheld dynamo stuff as well. Uh, that that's that's being quite reliable, and we use that as a return to play criteria, Um Should they get in? I think uh, um,
1: I think what Ross and Nathan both said there sounds really sensible and logical. I also, I, I just found the mixed training. I use I use training as my screening tool. You know, when when they first come in, I, I've got some standard. Body weight sessions that will look that we'll put them through some fundamental shapes. Can they hit them? And that often that I took that from sort of some stuff I saw from, from Al Vermill. and he's got all your exercises and looking at what how they're performed and whether that's a weakness in thoracic or whether it's a weakness in different areas or lack of flexibility. And again, when we know we're under the cosh in terms of training time to go to the gaffer and say, "Oh by the way, I want a morning to screen everybody in pre-season." Well, good luck with that but actually Gaffer, we're going to get him in and we're going to do a body weight conditioning session and I've got all the physios in watching and we're picking things up. You Not only have you got a training session, you've also got some sort of screening, testing taking place as well.
2: It goes back to what you were saying earlier then. It's really good that you you all formulate opinions then within the staff and you all stick to the same line then as well, don't you? Yeah. you know, the fact that you've all been an assessment of a player subjectively. Uh you can all have a discussion about it in a formulator program, whether it's an intervention program or wherever it is on that. So I, I think that's really good, Like
1: The only thing is I can't package it and sell it for loads of money.
2: <laughs> what are we doing in the job then? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's cool.
0: I mean, it's uh, 55 minutes. So, um, Nick, you've got a couple of seminars coming up. Do you want a little plug of them?
1: Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, can you? Yeah. Do. yeah. Um, <laughs> so the first one kicks off in, when is it? Uh, in Leicester, at Leicester City's training ground. Uh, so they asked me to go in and do a talk uh, on um, youth development. So just looking at some of the examples from when I worked at netball, through into basketball, and now looking at, at football and, and trying to debunk, again, a lot of the the myths around uh, youth resistance training and, and physical preparation for kids and just to, to, do a reality check and say what's been good, what's worked and what hasn't. So that's uh, creating athletic legacies. So I'm doing one at Leicester and then there's a few others that have um, come on board that want me to do it. Blackburn, I'm going to Leeds. I think I might be doing one up here in Sunderland. So it's on, it's on Eventbrite. People can have a look or go on my website and have a look. It's uh, 25 quid, cheapest chips. There you go, for an, after, for an evening. <laughs>
0: So, which, which the Leeds won a replication of the Leicester one? Besides?
1: They're all yes, yeah. So uh, okay. they probably get better. They'll probably get better as they go on. Don't say that to the Leicester guys. Okay. Uh, no, the Leicester one's going to be amazing. Uh, but yeah, it's it's all the same. It's all the same workshop, uh, just done in different locations because not everyone can get in from an evening.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. That's it. I mean, I just want to um, thank you all for coming on. And do you want to just give uh, people a heads up on where they can catch you? Uh, website, Facebook, Twitter. What, you, Nath, first?
3: Yeah, you can catch me on Twitter, uh, window underscore um, N. That's basically the, the main one I use. So if you want to uh, have a chat on there, hit me up, no problems.
0: Ross? Uh,
2: just Ross Burberry on the Twitter. Um, don't put anything personal up there. Just put loads of studies and boring stuff. Don't make good nighttime reading for anyone that wants to have a look.
0: And your stuff as well.
1: And my
0: stuff as well, yeah. Yeah, Still
1: send you sleep. Nick? Yeah, uh, on Twitter, uh, Coach Nick G. I don't take pictures of uh, kale and mung bean salads for (laughs) breakfast or anything like that. (laughs) What? uh, (laughs) (laughs) Again, just tend to share decent ideas and and information, occasional funny things, but that's about it.
0: Cats? Anything to do with
1: dancing cats? No, 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 No cats, no. Oh, shit. Right, okay. <laughs> um, what, what's your website, Nick, where people can get uh, to the. Uh... It's the very originally entitled com. Nice. It took me ages to think yeah. of that. So, yeah, should be able to find it. And there's, there's a blog on there. So, again, it's kind of my ramblings. Cool. Uh,
0: nice. Well, uh, thank you very much for your time. And nice I appreciate thanks. that. Um, and I'll speak to you very in a bit. Speak to you shortly. Very thanks, guys. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to a special edition of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Ross, Nathan and Nick. I'm thinking about doing a a similar edition with with rugby rather than football. So if there's anyone you'd like to see on the the rugby edition, I'd really appreciate any recommendations. Just a little reminder that you can catch all episodes of the podcast if you subscribe on iTunes. You can also jump over to paceyperformance.co.uk and all the previous episodes are on there. But thanks for listening and I will catch you in the next episode.